Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to this weekly Torah study from New Beginnings Church in Bedford, Texas, taught by Pastor Scott Sigmund. We pray this message will help you better understand how God's Old Testament wisdom and New Testament revelation are meant to jointly fit together. Thank you so much for coming to the Torah study. Uh, since the COVID uh, plague hit, uh, we've uh, been rebroadcasting many of the uh, Torah studies on the church webpage. There's a podcast page, and we repurposed uh, last year's. But we're back. We're in church. Amen. And did you see my new shirt? So church is essential. Amen. And uh, I'm an essential worker. Amen. And you're an essential believer. <laughs> so praise ye the Lord. So uh, we're, um, we're in the last teaching uh, this past week uh, out of the book of Numbers. Uh, in uh, Numbers 30 through Numbers 33, there's actually a double portion. There are two combined this week. So there's tons of things we could have taught on. Um, uh, but uh, And we'll get into that. Uh, the principles of vows, promises, and oaths. And it's a fascinating insight. But this is the uh, last teaching in the book of Numbers. And according to Jewish wisdom, these are the final words of the Torah that came from God himself. And then when you get into the book of Deuteronomy, uh, it's taught that Moses shared. He was inspired by the Lord, but it was Moses that shared the words where Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, it was God himself. So um, uh, as we complete our study in the book of Numbers, it's an interesting thing to uh, see what God is focusing on as he kind of wraps up his part of giving the Torah. Uh, It's a powerful leadership lesson, and it really is a character builder, something that you and I as Christians, we need to be interested in not just being characters, but building our character. Before Christ, I was quite a character, and I still have my moments. But before Christ, I wasn't much interested in character building. I was much uh, more interested in acting out, in being a character. And so, thank the Lord, he changed all of that. And a lot of that has to do with today's lesson. Let me just read uh, uh, to get us started out of Numbers 30. If you have your Bible open to Numbers 30, uh, verse 1, it says, uh, Then Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel. And again, this is some of God's very last words, very last lessons. And he says, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by some agreement, he shall not break his word. 
He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. And so this lays the foundation for this morning's teaching and the general principle of the power of our words. We've heard tons of messages uh, on the power of our words, but maybe some things that we're going to touch base on uh, today are not quite as familiar. Uh, As I mentioned, God wants to make sure that Israel, and then by extension you and I, uh, are using the power of our words, our speech, our language correctly. So it will be used to our advantage and not to our disadvantage. How many of you know our words have power? God sees our words as like sacred vessels. Right? And so those words need to carry faith. Our words need to carry truthfulness. Our words need to be as God's word is, reliable and dependable. Now the rest of uh, uh, the, uh, the chapter goes on to describe a whole number of standards and guidelines that have to do with our family, our uh, relationships, our marriage vows, and the coffee's on. So if you, if you can't live without the Holy Spirit and you can't live without coffee, slip over and get a cup. I'm going to keep teaching. Amen? Uh, and so... What we say, the words that we use in the context of this teaching, fundamentally begins with what we're saying in our family, what we're saying to our loved ones, because those words have the power to love and to heal and to create an atmosphere where unity and peace and love can thrive, but they also have the power to crush And to injure, and instead of bringing blessing, bringing cursing. Let's go through a couple, uh, I mean the Bible is full of scriptures. Here's uh, out of Proverbs 15.4. It says, gentle words are a tree of life. Amen Amen to that. My wife said amen, I love you honey. She's reinforcing that in me, honey. Your words, be gentle. I'm kind of a football coach. Uh, I'm an intense kind of guy. My dad was a football coach, and I was one of his football players. And from the time I was just a little tyke, I was on a football field. And if you've ever been around coaches, a lot of times there's yelling and screaming. Get a helmet, son, and get in the game. (laughs) And on and on and on. There's tons of one-liners we don't have time to go into. Gentle words are a tree of life. A deceitful tongue, however, crushes the spirit. So here's uh, the principle in action. Proverbs 18.20 says, Wise words satisfy like a good meal. During the COVID crisis, I've had lots of good meals. That's all I've been doing. We're sitting home and eating. I've got so much exercise going back and forth to the refrigerator. I'm gaining weight, though. I'm not losing weight. 
the right words bring satisfaction, Proverbs 18 goes on. Verse 21, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Which means be careful what you say because you're going to reap what you sow and your words are seeds. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Who needs more trouble in their lives? I don't see any hands. The Lord says put a guard on your mouth. Your words have the ability to attract things. Your words have the ability to loosen the spirit of God or the spirit of the devil to begin to put things to work in your life. How many of you want to put blessing to work in your life? I see all your hands. 1 Peter 3.10 says, If you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Amen. So let's work on that. You pledge. You make a vow. (laughs) Be careful about making a vow because we'll talk about this in just a minute. Uh, So what we're seeing here that in the Lord's eyes, making promises or breaking promises is a big deal. Heaven considers promises a verbal and binding agreement. Christians don't get this. It's a verbal and binding agreement when you pledge allegiance. That's binding in heaven, in the spirit realm. So watching what we say, what we promise, is one of the master keys to success. Amen? The first recorded uh, vow in the Torah is when Jacob, Yaakov, vowed to build a house for God in Genesis 28.20. Genesis 28.20 says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I may come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, Lord, I will surely give a tenth to you. So Jacob is doing something very amazing here, very powerful. He's combining the power of his words. He's making a promise to God. Uh, and he, as he's doing this, he's making it uh, so that it will affect the actions of his future. He was in effect creating his destiny by his words. Um, when, when I first got saved up in Seattle, um, our church up there had uh, Ed Cole, the famous, the late great Ed Cole, the famous men's ministry leader who wrote the, uh, the best-selling book, Maximize Manhood. And he sewed into uh, the men's ministry at... Christian Faith Center up in Seattle for many, many years. I 
heard him preach many times and just loved him. And one of the things that always stuck with me is he said, you become committed to what you confess. You become committed to what you confess. Jacob is making a confession of faith. Father God, I pledge to serve you. And in, as I pledge to serve you, I'm trusting that you'll provide for me. And everything that you provide for me, I vow, I pledge, I promise to pay a tenth, a tithe, to give back into the kingdom so your house can be built. I dare say many of us here and listening on podcast or CD, you've made a pledge to serve the Lord, to build his house, and in exchange, God will honor that pledge and that vow and pour you out a blessing so there won't be room enough to receive it. Amen? So Jacob makes this monumental commitment. And it's a first place it comes up in the Bible. So it's very important because it's the first time it's mentioned. And that commitment, it's kind of like the commitment that you made at the altar. I don't know how you ended up getting saved. I actually got saved in an altar call. There was 12, 1,500 people, and there was 100 people co- coming forward. First time I had been in a full gospel word of faith, you know, Holy Coast, kind of charismatic Pentecostal church, and I had never seen anything like it. I had just been to Lutheran churches and Catholic churches. and uh, But uh, I didn't care who was watching. I only cared that he was watching. And when I prayed that prayer, I don't even really remember the prayer that I prayed, the words, but I remember what they meant. And I remember how deeply they resonated in me. And from that moment, I've served the Lord. We we have served the Lord from that moment. You know, that's been 35 years ago. So Jacob, he didn't necessarily know he was going to be in exile for 20 years in Laban's house. And yet he made a promise and that commitment resonated within him for 20 years. And when he returned, he did what he promised. Amen. He meant it then. When you and I pledged our allegiance to the Lord, we meant it then. And to this day, how many of you still mean it? I pledge allegiance to the Lamb of God. Amen. Amen. Come on, somebody. One of the scriptures that impacted me the most as a young convert back in Seattle, that was back in the early 80s, was Psalm 15. You know, things happen. You just hear a scripture and it just sticks with you. Everyone's probably got a dozen or two dozen or 50, 100 scriptures that just you know by heart and they just stick with you. And uh, uh, for me, one of those was in Psalm 15. You can uh, turn to, to Psalm 15 and... Verse 1 says, Who may worship in your sanctuary, Lord? Who may enter your presence on your holy hill? Those who lead blameless lives 
and do what is right, speaking the truth from sincere hearts. Those who refuse to gossip or harm their neighbors or speak evil of their friends. Those who despise flagrant sinners and honor the faithful followers of the Lord. And get this, and keep their promises even when it hurts. Uh, the I think it's the King James, it might be the New King James that says, He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. And then it goes on from there, such people will stand forever. I wanted to stand forever. I didn't come to the Lord uh, to be a wimp, to be a loser, to continue living the life I had lived before Jesus Christ. I had lived 17 years for Satan. I was an all-American sinner. I did everything I could do to discredit my life, my family, and uh, I had no future. When I got saved, I was broke, busted, and disgusted. I was a 30-year-old loser and failure. And that sat on me heavily. But I knew, even from my time in the Lutheran church, I knew that God was love. I knew that there was something there, but I resisted it, I avoided it, I anesthetized it with every drug and every bottle of alcohol I could. And then I met Jesus. And in a moment of time, things began to change. And one of the things that needed to change in me was the, uh, I needed to learn the principle of being responsible. Because I was Mr. Irresponsible. You know, I made lots of empty promises. I broke a lot of hearts, and especially in my family, alienated people because I was a jerk. I was stupid. I did stupid, stupid, stupid things. And uh, even though uh, God forgave me, it wasn't so easy for my family to forgive me, spouting off with all the wrong words. And even after Christ, even after uh, God's grace and mercy touched me, I was still so judgmental that I would, I would use the Turner Burn method of evangelism. What an idiot. <clears throat> I'm like Tommy Boy. <clears throat> But how many of you want to experience the presence of God in greater ways? Right? How many of you want to see God move in your life and bless your life in greater ways than where you're at right now? Well, here it is. Psalm 15. Watch your words. Put a guard on your mouth. Speak the truth in love. Amen? Be honest. Be sincere. Don't be mean-spirited. Don't use the turn or burn attitude. And keep your promises, even if it hurts. Amen? Because it's that kind of commitment that is the foundation of great things. Praise God. So, in ancient Jewish literature... There's a book that some teachers say was authored by Abraham himself, the Sefer Hazira. 
And I was just reading uh, an article and found this uh, teaching, and I thought, wow, this this is interesting. And it speaks about two covenants. It speaks about the covenant of circumcision and the covenant of our tongue. And it goes on to explain, and perhaps this is Abraham. I guess when we get to heaven, we can ask him, did you really write a book, and did you talk about this stuff? Yeah, I did. The covenant of circumcision is when we dedicate our creative physical ability, our creative reproductive ability over to the Lord. Physical circumcision. But there's a second covenant, the covenant of the tongue, when we're dedicating our creative spiritual ability through our words and through our speech, we're dedicating that over to the Lord as well. Amen. Amen. There's a physical creation And there's a spiritual creation. Watching our words, putting a guard on our mouth is part of the covenant that we're making with the Lord. We need to understand that. It's a spiritual circumcision. And what gets cut away is this tendency to speak negative words, to make empty promises. Ever heard in the New Testament things called vain babblings? God cut those things out of my life. Circumcise my heart. This is what Moses uh, was talking about in Deuteronomy 10.16. You shall circumcise the foreskin of your heart, it says. So Jews understood this dating back all that time. And then it goes on to say, and no longer stiffen your neck. In other words, learn to swallow your words. Before you say it, pray it. (laughs) Amen. So, our vows, our promises, our oaths are sacred things. There's an old saying uh, that I've always lived by. Uh, in leading the ministry, in uh, taking care of our Father's business, um, under-promise and over-deliver. Under-promise and over-deliver. Don't, I, I've learned not to shoot my mouth off and make these wild, outlandish promises because if I don't keep those promises... And there's so many things that are involved that you have no control over. Are you sure that promise can happen? Now, some people just make any kind of, and if it doesn't work out, well, we'll just change promises. (laughs) Type A personalities, we talked about this last week uh, in the personality profile. That type A personality uh, has the soft spot of making any kind of statement, any kind of promise, and then if it doesn't work, well, well, the circumstances have changed and we'll just change the promise. And uh, everyone else 
is wondering what the heck just happened. One minute we're saying this and the next minute we're saying this. It's like military life. Left, right, left, right. (laughs) And we need to recognize, if that fits your description, that that's a soft spot. That's something that God wants you to countermanage. So that because people are listening and hanging on, especially as a father, a husband, a boss, a leader, a pastor, a president. Don't make promises and blurt things out only to find out it can't happen that way because you lose trust. You lose credibility. Under promise, over deliver. It doesn't mean you can't have great goals, but... uh, You know, don't share everything. Only a fool shares everything. Right? But there are times that God allows us to revisit, re-examine, and reassess what we vowed. Okay? This is an interesting teaching. In certain situations, a vow or a promise can be changed or annulled. The Lord realizes that sometimes we get into a situation, maybe we didn't have all the facts, maybe we got overzealous, whatever the case might be, uh, the Lord doesn't want us to be bound to vows and oaths and promises that aren't a good thing. And depending on the circumstance, things can change. I couldn't help but think, that, talking about this, this is why bad things happen to good people. Because we make promises, we take a pledge, we make a vow, we take an oath. We overpromise and underdeliver, And we make promises and then break them just as fast as we make them and it comes back to hinder us we don't understand the spiritual principle of blurting things out like we're talking and then all of a sudden the unseen realm the spiritual realm things aren't working out for us why aren't they working out? I love the Lord. I come to church. I, I do praise and worship. I'm saying my prayers. Yeah, but your words don't mean a thing. And God isn't opening up the windows of heaven to people that don't respect this principle. But you're a good person. You might, you might not even realize you have that bad habit. One of my prayers and statements is, and Tamara, uh, one of the best assistants in the world, one of the things that uh, she, she's heard me say, my wife has heard me say, I've prayed it a billion times, Father God, I don't want to be the last to know. Don't let me be the last to know. In your relationship with your family, you don't want to be the last to know that no one likes you. (laughs) You don't want to be the last to know that when you show up at work, everybody all of a sudden is feeling bummed out. Oh man, why didn't he call in sick today? 
God, could you extend the COVID stay-at-home order for another couple years so I don't have to be around my boss? <laughs> See, in what, we, what God is teaching us, we, we have to realize our words snare us. And if you're not connecting the dots, this is what church is all about. I dare say that in the charismatic church, we've dumbed down the gospel to just tell me how I'm going to be blessed. And we want the uh, uh, strawberry shortcake, but, but we don't want the vegetables. Right? And so you start getting away from, well, just teach me how to get blessed. I don't want to hear any of the the bad stuff I got to change. I just want to hear how God's going to bless me. Well, I want to hear that too. But if there's something blocking the blessing, right? If I keep taking one step forward and three steps back, if the same, if I seem like I'm going around the same mountain again and I'm just going, Billy Preston, will it go round in circles? I love that song. Billy Preston grew up in the church and learned to play that Hammond. Yeah, he's good. But what we're talking about is one of the secrets of Yom Kippur. There's a secret in Yom Kippur no Christian basically has ever heard of. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the holiest day uh, on the uh, biblical calendar. It's a, it's a day, uh, 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 the, the last day of a 40-day season, the last day of the 10 days of awe, the last day of celebrating the high holidays, and it's a culmination of where God's people have been rallying themselves to repent to confess some things, to get clean of some things, and so that they can have redemption. Preaching repentance and confession and turning from your sins isn't being negative. <laughs> why, is it, why is that pastor gone from ministering to meddling in my business? Quit meddling it. But the charismatic church is, is just as much as fault as the traditional religious church. And all we want to hear are certain messages that lead me to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But this will lead you to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Because uh, if you cover up your sin... Sweep it under the rug and never address it. You're never going to reach the highest levels that God has for you. Don't be the last to know. So on Yom Kippur, the the first uh, the very first service in a synagogue, it opens with a prayer called the Kol Nidre, the annulment of vows. And right on the eve of Yom Kippur, right at sundown, uh, uh, in the synagogue, Jews will pray a prayer. It's really more of a statement that deals with promises, vows, and other verbal commitments that someone has made in the course of a year. And in this prayer, uh, the rabbi, the cantor, 
representing the congregation are asking God to annul the vows that people have made throughout the year but were unable to keep. Now why would they do that? Because if you've got broken promises, if you've got unfulfilled commitments, if you've been running from keeping your word, that's going to hinder your walk with God. And our Jewish brethren instituted a, uh, a part of Yom Kippur, a ceremony where all of those things would be prayed over, repented of, so that that vow would be canceled. This is why Jesus lets your yes be yes, your no be no, because everything else comes from what? Evil. Let your yea be yea, your nay be nay, because if you get into no man's land, that's where evil starts to percolate. No, I can't do that. I'll try my best, but I'm telling you, I probably can't do that. Yes, I'll be there. Yes, I'll pay that on time. Yes, when I say I do at the altar... I mean, I do means forever. It doesn't mean until the end of the week, until I find some hotsy-totsy new person. I'm not trading my, my beautiful wife in for uh, 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 someone half her age. Amen. Because when I went to the altar and I pledged my life to the Lord and to her, it meant Forever. Ain't going to be no backsliding, ain't going to be no cheating, ain't going to be none of this, none of that, no hanky-panky. My word is my vow. So, look, there may be times when, in light of important and unforeseen circumstances, something goes bad, like in a business deal. Some kind of detrimental information comes up. And you know what? This don't look good, God. And so when circumstances arise and you're thinking, man, this has got to change, God has a way for you to work that out and be released from that oath and that vow so that in the spiritual realm you're not hitched you haven't hitched your wagon to the wrong thing and nothing's working out nothing's going right and all of a sudden your very own vow is working against you cuz you're not keeping it but it is interesting that Jewish wisdom teaches that all of this needs to be done under the guidance of a rabbi. Because if you had your own get-out-of-jail-free card, (laughs) it's like when when I go golfing. (laughs) On the first tee, I always tell Pastor Huck, Hey, Pastor, when we checked in, I bought us each ten mulligans. And then he'll say, well, why didn't you get the unlimited card? <laughs> the unlimited do-over card, right? And so most of the time, uh, you know, if we want to hit a second shot, we will. <laughs> but it's different when you're dealing with people, when you're dealing with your family, when you're dealing with business. 
There's only so many do-overs before all of a sudden you've burned a bridge. And like the book says, uh, if you burn your bridges, you better learn to be a pretty good swimmer. Amen. Amen. So the rabbi comes in or a pastor or some other spiritual authority. You need to learn to lay your case out. Look, pastor, I got involved. What would you say I should do? Well, let's find out what the Word says. What are the principles in God's Word? What is the Holy Spirit telling you? How do we rightly divide the Word of truth? Amen? Amen. And, and so it should be noted that this prayer doesn't apply to vows and promises that we make and break with others. You just can't go to the synagogue and pray to God about the boneheaded things you did with your business partner or or with the person uh, at the credit card company or wh- whatever situation where you've entered into a legal and binding agreement with you need to eventually make your way to that person you can go to the synagogue and pray and you should but god said if you have offended your brother jesus spoke this if you've offended your brother go to the altar leave your gift Then go to find your brother and try to make it right. And in this case, look, we got into an agreement. I'm just struggling for this reason or that. Things aren't working out. I want to renegotiate that thing. And I ask, you know, that you would work with me to uh, renegotiate it. Ancient wisdom says Yom Kippur does not forgive transgressions between a man and his fellow. The Day of Atonement doesn't forgive transgressions that you've committed against another human being. It forgives what we've done with God, yes. But it doesn't, forgiveness doesn't occur until or unless he seeks forgiveness from him or her directly. If we had that concept working in our lives, we'd be a lot less likely to uh, uh, just be entering into bad agreements and making bad promises, promises we know good and well we were never going to keep. Because without forgiveness... I mean, that's the biggest blocking, uh, blessing blocker there is, unforgiveness. And some of unforgiveness is that if you can't get forgiveness from the person that you offended and harmed, then that thing's just sitting out there. And that's where a lot of uh, times we, uh, we get cursed. But God wants us, and he shares all of this with us. Remember, this is the, one of the last leadership lessons that God gave in the Torah, the end of the book of Numbers. And, uh, and so, look, I was looking online to see what kind of prayers or statements are made at this Yom Kippur service, this cold and the dray service. And I found one that I want to share with you as we close. Is that Okay. And even though Yom Kippur isn't for another uh, two months, 
by faith, let's receive this now if some way it applies to you. In fact, the reason this whole ceremony came up is because back in the Middle Ages when there were Jews were being forced to convert to Christianity and had to make oaths and vows and promises to the church, but secretly in their heart they didn't mean it, and later they went back to, uh, Rabbi, what do I do? I was forced to do that or be burned at the stake. And through a lot of prayer and wisdom and counsel and discussion, they, uh, 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 they developed under the inspiration of the Lord this process of annulling vows. So here it is. We're closing with this. And you could really say it as a prayer. Father God, let all our vows and oaths All the promises we make and obligations we incur to you, O God, between this Yom Kippur and the next be null and void, should we, after honest effort, find ourselves unable to fulfill them. Amen. Then may we be absolved of them. All vows, obligations, oaths, pledges of any and all names which we have vowed, sworn, devoted, or bound ourselves to from this day of atonement until the next day of atonement, whose arrival we hope for in happiness, we repent aforehand of all of them. They shall all be deemed absolved, forgiven, annulled, and void, and made of no effect. They shall not be binding nor have any power The vow shall be not reckoned as vows. The obligation shall not be obligatory, nor the oaths considered as oaths. Amen. Amen. So here's the principle of vows and oaths and promises. Did you get something out of that today? If you did, give the Lord a praise. Thank you for being a part of Torah study.